Hey, it's Corey. This is Here We Are. So prior to 10 years old, I was in the foster care system from the around the age of four or five to around age 10. I actually do still know like my birth parent, my birth mom, my birth dad was in, um, it was in jail my whole childhood. So he recently was released. So I haven't really met him before. But yeah, I, um, I grew up with my maternal aunt um, and her husband, who's my uncle, and they're now my adoptive parents. I call them mom and dad. Um, for a little bit, I lived with my grandma. Um, I lived in like three different foster homes. There's this thing called respite care as well, um, where like foster parents can send their kids to like another foster home as like a, a, like a little weekend vacation for them and then bring the foster kids back. So I was homeless for a little bit. When I was a kid, I don't remember it very well because trauma tends to make you have memory loss. So I don't remember much of my childhood, but the things I do remember, they weren't great. So I think it put me in a position to be really appreciative of what I have now and how far I've come and the growth that I've, I've made. Anna Smith-Koyman is a junior studying political science. She's from Janesville, Wisconsin, uses she, her, hers, and right now she's living in St. Paul. If you don't already know Ayana directly, you might know her as the self-described mega-student government rep. She's constantly plugging MCSG. I'm just around doing things. People see me on Twitter and, and at meetings and on the social medias just being like, pay attention to us, we're doing great things. So through the adoption process, I have three siblings, I have three sisters, and I'm technically, I'm second born. I'm not actually, people tell me I give oldest child energy and there's a reason for that. Um, my oldest sister actually got adopted separate from me and my, my two younger sisters. She lives out in California now, she's doing great, but I immediately had to assume the role of the oldest child from the age of 10 onward. And that took an interesting toll on me in that I felt that I had to be not only through foster care, but then also through adoption and just growing up, I felt that I had to be this perfect person. Foster care really honed that into me because I'm like, I'm the oldest. My siblings were always, my sister, one of my sisters has ADHD, the other one has like severe social anxiety. So they were always like getting in trouble or getting talked to. And so I felt like I had to be this epitome of perfection to ensure that at least one person wasn't being a problem in the household or to ensure that you know, hey, stay in line and they won't send us to a new home or they'll be nice to us. And so that really carried on throughout my childhood. And it was a, it's a big issue for me even now still of this idea of perfection. I remember the summer, um, the summer between my third and fourth grade um, was the summer that I was, we were really bouncing from home to home. And we were with this family in... Janesville, Wisconsin, where they had two adopted daughters of their own. So it was five kids and the two parents. And so I really felt the need, This, the, like the daughters were always going in on my sisters, like always like making fun of them or like being mean to them. I just really felt like if they weren't going to listen to me, my sisters, if they weren't going to listen to me, I had to like be that perfection so that I wouldn't, you know, aggravate the siblings and I wouldn't upset the parents. And so I remember like I would, to the point sometimes I would just be outside by myself. I was like, if I, if I just stay secluded, if I'm not around people, if I'm always gone doing things, you know, there's not a reason for anyone to be upset with me or, or to say something to me. I remember that very vividly. 
when I was even older, after the adoption, I was always like working or I did show choir or I was an orchestra or like I was just anywhere but my house because if I was home, that's where people could get upset. Um, you know, if you're staying stagnant, that's when people can notice you. And so I did my best to not be noticed as a defense mechanism so that I wouldn't, you know, there wouldn't be a reason for anyone to say anything to me that would be upsetting. It was um, it was a real facade because I would have to change myself for whichever group I was around, right? So if I was with my family, you know, you had this like perfect, respectable daughter. You know, I didn't talk back. I didn't say much. I spoke when spoken to. When I was with my friends, you had this like, you you know, outgoing, you know, funny personality, but they didn't know very much about me. They had never met my parents, really. They'd never been to my house. They didn't know who my sisters were until they got to high school with me. And then if I was like at work, that was a different persona. That was like very like business oriented Ayana. You know, she just did her tasks and went home and got her paycheck. So it was just different everywhere I went. And it was so super draining for myself because I would have to get home and just like, I would only be able to get to be my real self when I was in my room by myself, just like vibing. It was just a really tiring effort to just try and be all those different people all the time. My senior year of high school was really freeing for me because I knew that I was leaving behind a chapter in my life that I could reshape my future into what I really wanted it to be and how I really wanted to be perceived. And so, yeah, my local newspaper, Janesville Gazette, does this yearly senior spotlight where they take a senior and they kind of like interview them and just say like, how have you, you know, how have you gotten to where you are and where are you going? And for me, I really just delved into my background about my adoption, about being in foster care, about being separated from my siblings just persevering through all of that to get to where I was, which was a senior in high school, full scholarship to McAllister, just really doing the most at that time. And from that, I decided to also audition to give the commencement speech at my my graduation. My graduating class was 450 students and their parents took up half a football stadium as well as like some of the floors. Like it wasn't a small task to do that speech and I was one of the people chosen. I was really nervous about writing because it wasn't just my story I was telling, right? It was my sister's story. It was my parents' story. You know, they like are still in that town. They still like no people there so it wasn't just me saying my truth it was like telling little tidbits of theirs as well um and I just remember like reading a draft of the speech out loud practicing my diction and the pace and all that my sister my youngest sister was in the room and she was just listening to me speak and I got to the end of it and she was like that's beautiful Like that, that's the first compliment I think she's ever given me. She was just like, that's amazing. And I was like, yeah. And she goes, yeah, that sounds so good. <laughs> and so it just, it really alleviated that fear a little bit, just knowing that like she was there and she like approved of it and thought it was great. And that really helped me keep going. You know, I had other people around me. I had my friends to be like, yeah, like, that's good. That's good. I had teachers helping me write it. But just hearing that approval from my sister being like, no, that's beautiful. just really helped me stay true to the course of like what I wanted to write about. We had like a full day of like rehearsing the commencement just because it's so many people that have to go through. And, you know, you have 
famous people coming. Like Paul Ryan was at my commencement because his nephew was giving a speech as well. People who don't know, I graduated Paul Ryan's nephew. I think I bring it up all the time just because it was really interesting. He's always popping up throughout my stories um, just a little bit. And so it was really nerve wracking because, you know, there's important people that were going to be there and like everyone's families. But I had really built a relationship with a lot of the people in my class. And so it, as daunting as it was knowing that I was going to speak in front of all those people, once I was up there, the nerves kind of just like subsided and I was just like, let's just do it. And like I pick up my friends in the crowd and like my friend Rachel's like giving me the thumbs up. My friend Frank's just like, yeah. And I just kind of talked about just my life and my fear of failure just because I've had to be pretend to be perfect for so long that I had developed a real like deep seated fear of just like not being good. And like, as I said before, just learning from my mistakes and really honing in on that. And I, I it was just a really freeing experience to be able to be like, this is my truth. You know, accept it as you will, but I'm tired of hiding it and being like coy about my past. Like, this is who I am. This is what shaped me. And so here you are. Um, you can either stay around and be immersed in it and the full person that I am or, you know, keep going. <laughs> Take your leave. It was relieving at the end of the day. It was nervous the like day of because it's like, 60 70 degree heat you're like it's june you're just like ah but once i was up there it was great and just to like see everyone be so emotional and just be so happy for me it was like really really fulfilling i think what changed for me going forward was that i was just more willing to be honest with myself and others like i didn't feel like i had to hide certain parts of myself for people um i just kind of showed up more fully like if i was going to be loud in the way that I am typically loud, like I was just gonna do it the way that I would. Um, and if people got annoyed by it, then I'm like, okay, maybe I'll tone it down. But like, I wasn't gonna hide it right off the bat. Like I wasn't gonna put up these as many facades. I've had to kind of reframe it now and be, it's not about being perfect. It's about being the best you can and owning your mistakes. And when mistakes are made, you know, using them and learning from them. Um, whereas before perfection was a survival mechanism really to ensure that, you know, everyone was staying safe around me and that I was protecting myself. So the summer after first year, I took a campus job, um, shout out summer conference staff. So it was just me and like nine other students staying here over the summer um, working on campus because campus kind of does like a little mini hotel thing over the summer. I don't know how many people know that, but they rent out the dorms and they rent out spaces on campus. And so we were making beds and like setting up rooms and moving tables around and things. And I think that was just, it was the first time I was away from my family for an extended amount of time. I was a, a, an adult at that point. I was 18 going on 19. And so I just really took that time to really just try and, and center myself and really get in tune with who I am. I like went to parties. I like went to Pride. Like it was my first time going to get like gay 90s. I got like this cute outfit that I was like, oh, this is really adult. Um, and I just really was just like, what do I like? Like I really had to get, like, get into that conversation. Like, who am I? What do I like? What do I enjoy? 
and that summer kind of gave me the freedom to do that without any scrutiny from family, friends, like feeling like, oh, like, oh, when I'm at home, this is like the people that they, like, this is the Ayana they know. But like, it was really just me being like Ayana, who is Ayana by herself without any other constraints. Something that really helped, I revamped my wardrobe, which is probably why I'm known for that. It was work. It was work, you guys. <laughs> I think it, it was just really freeing to get away from from home and just be around people who weren't from my background, who didn't really do the same things I did, and and just being on that learning curve. You can catch up with Ayana on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. And you can also find more of her work on the MCSG social media accounts. Thank you so much for listening to Here We Are. This show was produced and edited by me with help from Shania Russell and Catherine Irving. Our music is by The Amazing Blue Dot Sessions. I designed our tile art. And special thanks to Robin Anthony Peterson, who put together the portraits on our social media. You can check those out on Instagram and Twitter. We're at Here We Are Pod. That's it for this Thursday. I'm Corey Suzuki. We'll be back tomorrow.